All right. I remember in the Dinner with Red Cross, uh, you know, promotional interview yes. uh, record. Yeah, they called you Robert Hot Plate Hecker. Hot Plate. Hot Plate. Yeah, Hot Plate. Hot Plate stemmed from basically my impoverishment. And, okay. and I, I, lived in this li- <laughs> I lived in this little place in Venice for like three and a half years. And it was, it was how did it go? I think it was eight by nine with a seven foot ceiling. It, it, it was an old Victorian, four doors from the ocean. It was very, you know, lovely, except for, you know, the gangs and the homeless people who were right, sleeping right. and defecating on my step every morning, you know. <laughs> and <laughs> so sorry, you know. And so it, it was an old Victorian. That the, the building, I think, had been built in like 1907 or something like that. And it had, of course, been chopped up into seven or eight or nine units, right? So we're all living just in one small room. And, and my room was the beach shower. That's what it had okay. been. My, my, I lived in what had been a shower. So it was very small. It was, it was a magnificent shower. It was kind of a pathetic room. A pathetic you know? room, right, right, yeah. right. And so there was this very, very teeny little uh, corner sink, right? Like a sink with very old school with two spouts. One's hot, one's cold. Totally yeah. useless if you right. want to wash your hands. Yes. Or like freeze, burn, freeze or burn. Freeze. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It was absurd. And that was, needless to say, no kitchen or anything. And the, the little sink and there was a little toilet thing. And so I, I, I had this window, of course, with bars on it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I built this little shelf. And all I had room for was this little hot plate, two little burners. And I'd sit there and boil my potatoes, you know, on my hot plate. So hence the nickname that, that, okay. that arose okay. in the late 80s for me. <laughs> uh, See? Play hacker. I like it. I've actually, I've wanted to like you know get my yes. my little dress rod cover engraved yes. with hot plate yes. and such you know that in in perfect. the left paul font you know hot plate that would be perfect so, yeah. I, and that's amazing uh, all these years you know however many decades it's been since i heard that interview the i've always thought it was because of your dome no that's hilarious <laughs> Which is why I brought it up just now no, as we it, were talking it, about. It, it was a very literal. <laughs> it was very literal. That yeah. is funny. All right. <laughs> um, what I really want to focus on with you today is Third Eye. There's so much. Absolutely. It, there, it, it's a mysterious record for us in a lot of ways. We don't know a lot about it. But I do want to talk a little bit about sort of how you got connected with Red Cross, um, sure. Jeff and Steve, and yeah, yeah, yeah. take us through neurotica and then and then what happened in the interim period and then uh, the magnificence of third eye and then kind of what happened after yeah, yeah, yeah. so how did you hook up with jeff and steve how did you become the guitar player in red cross so i i i went to hermosa beach middle school and at hermosa beach middle school when i was in seventh grade i met steve Hausen and robert shaw who were two eighth graders they both lived on 24th street across the street from one another steve's older sister janet was the drummer in Red Cross. Okay. And she went to Maricosta High School. So, I, so we didn't, like, I when I started high school, she was already out. So she's probably that, that four-year or five-year right above me thing, you know. And, but Janet was rad. She was a little scary, you know, because she was <laughs> tough. Don't mess around. And, and so the Housdens totally changed my life by exposing me to a lot of things from my growing up in Hermosa Beach very much so from 
my parents who came from, you know, beatnik and hippie. And then suddenly there were these punks, right? Yeah. And Hermosa Beach has something in the water, right? Uh-huh. So you just, you can't even start there. And Maricosta High School as well. So they introduced me to the the the, the punk rock scene. And it was all, I, I was just a Beatle geek. That's all I was. Okay. I was a little kid Beatle geek. And it was all Beatles all the time and nothing but the Beatles, right? And were you playing my, guitar at that point? I was. I started yeah. playing guitar when I was nine years old. Okay. And I often say I didn't learn how to play the guitar for 14 years until I was about 23, <laughs> which precedes shortly third eye, which is okay. also a that's a that's a, a, a notable point. Anyway, so I met Janet. And so with Steve and some other friends, OK, et cetera, Al Hansford, I, I actually saw the Red Crosses probably as early as about 81. Okay. And that was really cool. And they were very funny. Yeah. And so, and, and I would also, sometimes they would be at the Housen's house, you know, so I, I, I would see them and they were just these, you know, two goofy guys and with their long black hair in front of their eyes. My hair was longer than theirs at that point in time, I think. But anyway, you know, we, 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 we got along just fine. And, and then one day I was at, I went with my buddy Paul K to downstairs, uh, Cafe de Grand. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know who was playing, but Steve was there. And we had just heard that Dez, who had just done his second stint with the Red Crosses, Dez had just left the Red Crosses again. So I'm like, dude, (laughs) it was pretty much as easy as that, right? And so we sat outside, Paul K was there and, and me and Steve McDee, we just kind of chatted, probably leaning on Paul K's car or something for, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's like, yeah, that's rad. Come on over. Well, you know, so I, I this is a true story. So I, I lived in Hermosa. They lived in Hawthorne, you know, with their parents and we all lived at home. We were teenagers, sure. right? I mean, yeah. teen babes. And, and I got on my bicycle. I had a lovely old Sears three speed. It was painted orange and blue stripes. Nice. And I had my my sg in case okay. in one hand so i was riding a bicycle along the railroad tracks that go all the way from valley hermosa through manhattan through el segundo to hawthorne bumping <laughs> bump, 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 on the railroad tracks for six miles it was six miles from my house to theirs with my guitar in hand and then we all sat in jeff's bedroom and you know we we did the we did the stuff right we did that so i just did that because i knew that that was something that they may or may not have wanted me to do i i I, with housden and al hansford i'd been in a band called bad karma and we played strutter so we probably played strutter and whatever various kiss songs they were into kiss but Really, their 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 '60s polo was the Stones, so we probably played, you know, Stone songs, and then I was all Beatles, we played Beatles songs. So we just sat and we jammed. It was really fun. It was pretty much like, okay, well, we have a show in two weeks, type thing, you know. <laughs> you know and that was fine because it's beautiful and, and you know somewhat trashy. So is this? And this is what '81. It, it was '84. It was my, my okay. first gig with them was was, wait, it was '84. So okay. so. I, I don't know what year Tracy left and then Des had returned to the band and then they even did like the two shows or something with Vicky Peterson. And, and then, so, so when I joined the band, Janet was no longer in the band okay. and Dave Peterson was in the band. So they had just finished recording team base from Monsanto. It, I don't even think it had been pressed yet. 
and they were signed to Enigma and they had some little label support. And so I joined basically to support that record and to tour for that record. Okay. You were and not then, on the record. I am not on yeah, the okay, record. Okay. And we even, that always broke my heart. I mean, not, not what, what broke my heart was, was that we, they even famously, it's like printed on the cassette sleeves or whatever from the original things. It says Saturday night because we were going to record I can't remember what key right, it's in. Right, right, right. We were going to record Saturday night, and that was supposed to be the cassette bonus track in a cassette. Okay. That never was. So, and I was looking forward to that because I have a nice falsetto, or I did. Ah. I was looking forward to singing those backing vocals. Well, you were able to show off your your falsetto a little bit later. Yeah, 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 for sure. Anyway, I think I think there there's a there's a great a video of 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 a show we played at the Olympic Auditorium, which was like this, you know, one of these classic Red Cross in '84, '85, playing playing uh, hardcore giant bills with two thousand angry bald people throwing things at us, and yeah, right. we're just it was a beautiful thing, you know. I mean, how did how did Red Cross go over with that crowd? I mean, that's one of the things that that is is so fascinating about Red Cross, you know, to me is <laughs> Bizarre, yeah. is that sort of that that stylistic arc i mean it was never really the same record twice there was the early oh which um, is beautiful you know, that's the, wonderful the posh boy ep and then born innocent yeah. and then the teen yeah. babes covers album and then you have neurotica and that arc is really interesting to to just well, think well, about one thing is just growing and maturing and, and and you know three years between records is painful you know sure i do the same thing with the it's okays and that's just because of like you know day jobs and children or whatever yeah right that life's right. demands and we had we had some other conflicts of of progress, you know, obstacles in our paths. But yeah, the, <laughs> there there was a there was an interesting there was an interesting angry bald young men thing that they 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 they, they didn't they didn't they, they did not enjoy us, I suppose, or, okay. or they were threatened <laughs> or frightened by us, or but they they there were there was a a, a small. But very vocal minority who at large shows, if we played on those bills, would be extraordinarily hostile. But it, the, the flip side of that, of course, is that you just you just you absolutely thrive on that. Yeah, right? sure. it's beautiful. It's, it's a response is always better than no response. That's right. That's right. A dead room is a, is a sad situation. You can still pull something mm. from that negative energy being hurled at you yeah. because it's energy. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, and that shift from Born Innocent to Neurotica, you know, bypassing Teen Babes completely, just, you know, in yeah, terms yeah, yeah. of original Red Cross records. Just as an aside, because I'll, if I'll forget it later, but particularly my, my, my first tenure with the Red Cross is my first seven-year stint. It was our job, you know what I mean? And so we rehearsed. We really were somewhat, you know, structured and organized. We would rehearse, like, from... 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, and Mondays to keep ourselves sane, <laughs> right? We would play somebody else's album in its entirety, maybe okay. two if we were there for a while. Principally, there'd be Beatle records, but sometimes we might do something really absurd, like play a Sticks record or whatever, okay. you know. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes we might not really know the songs, and it might be catastrophic. I tend to be one of those encyclopedic type of players, you know, so I know a lot and. You know, so that's something we would do. So that just makes perfect sense, really, in a way. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we've done a few, a couple of sets 
that were all cover sets where the crowd was small, but the setting was unique and beautiful. So we're just like, we're just going to give you a treat tonight. And we would just do something off the cuff, the entire set. And that was beautiful. And those were kind of, one of them was in, I want to say, no, maybe it wasn't. I want to say one of them was in Oakland Hmm. in a shopping mall, little, little mini mall type weird little venue and we all what did we do i i think i had blue lipstick the same blue lipstick i'm wearing in this really cool rip magazine photo from new york and i want to talk about that article actually oh okay yeah and i had the blue lipstick and basically we took the blue lipstick and we all designed we painted ourselves (laughs) all blue and then we took the deli tray and we just you know, draped our bodies and made these necklaces and things out of all the things from the deli tray. Meat and, and cheese. We, yeah, and we went out. And it was really funny. We were playing with this band who were called Vital Signs. And they, I, I don't, oh boy, I don't want to be ageist because I'm 54 years old, right? But, <laughs> but you know, we were all 20 years old or whatever. And these guys were all like 40 or whatever. Okay, right. And yeah. it, it was just, it was the strangest mismatch. The whole bill made zero sense. It was a total zero sense bill. Right. Like why, like they like took an intermission during their sessions. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just, it was so psychedelic, but they, some, they were on some soundtrack of a movie. Right. Okay. So they had some, somebody had an industry, not that they were on a label or anything, but they were on this soundtrack. So they had some kind of push. And so we ended up on this, bill with this very peculiar bill so that was kind of our response and our crowd their crowd was completely not our crowd and so and whatever it was you know we just had a very small draw and so we just we did something special (laughs) it was beautiful now on those instances where you would do that kind of thing was that premeditated or oh heavens no No. you just go into a venue and just feel it out you know what i mean say this is usually you know you got to go on you're going to do your set you're going to do your thing you know and sometimes it's just like you just you just you you have to make you got to make it magic right okay there's (laughs) 20 of you here and there's four of us here and you guys all get it, the ones who are here. Like, we are a family right now. So you can come see us another time. We're going to do something beautiful. And we're going to have this, like, spiritual, like, deli drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It was awesome. I, I've seen a picture of you uh, sort of as, a, as an aside but linked to what you're talking about. I've seen, yeah. I'm sure that I've seen a picture of you wearing Vinnie Vincent makeup. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I need to know. Uh, I love Vinny. You know, this is a true story. <laughs> just, just to ex- explain my kissing, since I was such a fanatical Beatle geek as yeah. a child, I was a total anti-kisser. I wouldn't even listen to okay. Queen when I was in middle school because they were just not the Beatles. Not the you Beatles. Know what I, mean? I was totally just horrible. It's all right. You know, you have to stand your ground hey, sometimes. Right? And half of it was just my own defense because most kids would like give me so much grief because, you know, the Beatles, that's like, dude, you're so lame. That's so like 10 years ago, right? <laughs> like, dude, it's like all about, you know, whatever the Bee Gees and stuff, you know. And, and so I, I, I wore my, my, my Beatle badge proudly. And I, I ultimately I, I did, you know, acquiesce and, and worship everybody else and all sorts of music, you know, but this is true. My first entry into kiss is the elder they're, okay. they're a, yeah. an unsuccessful bomb record right and it's a brilliant record brilliant. i mean it, it's a brilliant record there are those who are on board you know i know yeah i know yeah. Ron, 
Arnett from the Muffs. He's also worships it. And Odyssey, even though they didn't write it, Tony Watts wrote that. That song is so incredible. And Bob Ezrin, just everything, every, everything right about that is just, Absolutely. oh, my God. Yeah. And so that was a really interesting thing. And, and of course, so that starts with Eric Carr. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's Kiss's drummer for me, right? It was Eric Carr. Right. I, I do the whole thing, like, opposite of all my friends who started worshiping Kiss just as the spectacle when it appeared. So then the next record that comes was was uh, Creatures of the Night, right? right? Which blew my mind and has Ace on the cover and all that. And I, I didn't have this awareness, but I was really confused because what happened was, so that was their that was their tenth anniversary tour. So yes, eighty two, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. So eighty two, they're touring for Creatures of the Night, and then they're playing. They're 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 not playing the Forum anymore. I don't know where they are playing. You know, little places. And so they're not taking out full page ads in the Times and the calendar anymore either. There's like this little black and white picture. And I'm looking at this little picture, you know, and it's like, and there's this dude who's like, right? Yes. 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 You know, Uh who is that? That's not, that's not their guitar player. Who is this? And I was so intrigued and confused by this little picture of this so hard to see, you know, in halftone, right? So you can't make out anything. And so then I don't know what I did. I probably went to the library and and started pouring through circus or cream or whatever, right? right? right, right. And then there's Vinny Fwiz Vincent, right? Vinny Fwiz Vincent. And I was just like, no, interesting, right? And then... I didn't go on that tour. Oh, okay. I was young and I was broke. I know I'm really sad too about it, you know, and I just didn't have a way to get around. And the tickets are probably, you know, 10 or $13 in 1982, right? 10 when, bucks, 10 bucks. Yeah. Like yeah. I think I saw the who for $14 at the Coliseum, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He was just rad. He had the raddest makeup on earth and it was gold, you know? And then of course, and then of course, Lick It Up comes out and Lick It Up is insane. It's a, it just, a, a magnificent pop rock achievement. And Absolutely. then it was like every yeah. single song is written by Vinnie Vincent. Yeah. Holy mackerel. Yeah. Yeah. And the dude's just running and burning it up, you know? And I'm just like, okay, this is the deal. So I, I saw Vinnie on the Lick It Up tour, but okay. yeah. those are pretty ghastly outfits and all. I, I, I wish I would have seen the, you know, the, the, the makeup farewell. Poor Vinnie. And he's another sidebar to himself. It's yeah. a just really pathetic tragedy. And I feel so terrible because, because, he has he has his his true fan base, and I'm one of them. I am too, and he has not made it easy for us, especially oh even my. in the past year. It's right. been, but I and we have the exact same kiss timeline. Um, and I'm you know I'm 46, so I'm a, a okay. bit younger. But I got I really got into kiss into music in general in you know 1980. So that was right after yeah, I guess yeah, yeah, Unmasked, yeah. and the the first new kiss record I got was The Elder, and just so absolutely loved it. And to this so day, good. it's one of my all-time favorite Kiss records. And really, I probably one of my all-time favorite records. I just love it great, deeply great and wholeheartedly. Record. Yeah. And I got to go to the Creatures, the 10th anniversary <laughs> tour um, in San Francisco. I was 10 years old and I had, I had like $10 that I had saved and I was going to buy a Dungeons and Dragons manual. <clears throat> and then they announced the Kiss show and I had to make a decision. And I opted for the Kiss route, and I'm sure that that has forever changed my life. You know, and Motley <laughs> Crue opened, so awesome. and so it was just it was an amazing entry into the world of 
rock and roll and spectacle oh. and to see you know to see Vinny in that short little period of time oh i feel yeah. really lucky but and i didn't get to see him on on look it up and i, I regret that but oh uh, there is a on 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 youtube there's a poster it's a board tape of them playing and it's it's from the creatures tour and it's billed as kiss alive three uh, and it's so godhead they are yes. so monstrous yes. and they're so ferociously tight and they play fast yeah. and Vinny Vincent is insane and Paul's pipes are just so I mean the dude's just like at his prime Absolutely. when he could really really like just god head pipes they're such a monstrous band and it's I I, I think that's tragic it like at their at their nadir of their career, you know, that yes. they really were at the pinnacle of what they were ever as a live band. Yeah, just, agree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Yeah. You saw it. I saw it. <laughs> and, and, you know, you saw, I mean, the, yeah. I look at uh, Creatures and look it up as kind of companion records. I mean, they oh, were definitely. within a Absolutely. short period of time, the same, essentially the same lineup uh, yeah. and the same producer. Um, yeah. And really the same sort of, yeah, they really sound like they yeah. belong together. Yeah, the Michael James Jackson records. Yes, yeah. a very special time. If they do another record, like a final record, which I don't think they will, I would love yeah. for him to come back and do that. That'd be epic. Yeah. But uh, we digress. Um, yes. <laughs> um, I wanted to talk about that. There was an article in Rip Magazine. Yeah. Um, that, so at that point, I was 100% thrash metal. Uh, I was a teenager, and that, and I see this, I see this band, um, and they look very glammy. And I, I didn't read the article. Um, I still have the magazine, and I went back to it some years later and remembered. And, and um, but that just was was uh, sort of taboo for me. Sure, I get it. And uh, I'm wondering then, you know, one of the things that we hear a lot about, or, or begin hearing about in sort of the the early '90s, was as bands like. You know, bands from Seattle, bands like Nirvana and sure, 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 sure. you know Mudhoney and Soundgarden, and all of those bands um, were really taking hold. They really honored and loved Neurotica. Isn't that funny? It's true. I know. And so I'm just wondering what it was like for for you and for the band at that time with this very. You, know, you looked one way, and you look back on those pictures now, and you know, you, you, there is something a little punkier and a little trashier than yeah. there was i always hated the expression trashy which now <laughs> i i do embrace yeah I, I i wish we had all just said kitsch you know okay because okay. it's it's really what it is to be it's yeah. it's an absolute love yeah. and and it's just it's econo you know it's econo kitsch love and yeah. it is it's trashy and i i i i use it much more lovingly now I, it, it there were two that always killed me one was tr trash, you know, yeah. and the other one was just funny. Whenever that 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 part of near the end of my first tenure was, I just I couldn't take funny anymore. Okay. Like like, do you, you know what I mean? I yeah. mean, it, it just it started to hurt, you yeah. know, for what it's worth. It was just like, oh my god, you know, we're funny. We can't help it. We're funny. <laughs> but we try hard and we practice a lot too, you know. Well, that's the thing. There was humor, but it also wasn't yeah. a joke. I mean, no, there's real true and endearing love for these, you know, our, our Saturday morning experience as child, as, as children, you know? Yeah. Talking, talking about this, this Seattle kids. I, <laughs> woo boy. We played, <laughs> no, they did. The, the Northwest gave us a lot of love, you know, but you, you could see they they were a tsunami and it was coming, you know? And I, that was, that was, 
when we get to third eye, this becomes problematic, of course, needless to say. But, but you know, we were from L.A. We were young. We were kitschy. We were loud. We, we, we had all the same, apparently, like every single major Seattle guitar player always, always espouses Ace Fraley as their all-time ultimate hero, you know. So this Kiss thing, I think, still just comes into play. You know, we were... We were touching their 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 pop cultural yeah, right. landmarks. Right. We're just hitting hitting, and oh man! But the the deal was like, oh. <laughs> like the sound gardens opened for us, you know, and holy smokes! When when you, when, when when Chris Cornell goes on before you, it doesn't matter like mm. dirt material. You know, doesn't 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 matter. It was just the pipes. It was just like, oh, I I I I, I don't want to go on. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you can't. Yeah. You couldn't top that man's. Just, I mean, he was the second coming of teenage Bob Plant. You know, and yeah. and oh my heavens, he had just the most monstrous pipes. And I remember going home, and I'm like talking to our manager. I'm like, like John Silva, dude. No, you don't know these Soundgarden guys. This dude, this kid, he's like it's like like bob plant and ian gillen like to the nth degree and they're like just opening for us in this little dive or whatever he's like oh no hot plate i know oh, everybody <laughs> there's a big bidding war going on they're gonna be the next big thing i'm like oh, okay i'm glad somebody knows like i went home to tell them here it's come this this i just i have seen the future here it, they they just him pipes the pipes yeah yes you got a great drummer and you have the best pipes anybody's heard since Robin Zander, you know, it was just like, holy smokes. So, yeah. And the riffs too. I mean, Kim. Oh yeah. I didn't, it it was just, it was just, they were just doing their kind of, you know, grunge, right? Grunge. Yeah. So I, I just, to me, it was, it was, it was interesting. It was like, it was Bob plant fronting deep purple kind of, mm, you know, mm-hmm. so I don't know what songs they played or anything. I just sat completely transfixed by his banshee howl for the entire set, just standing there, letting my legs get heavy and like clay and stone standing in the back on the concrete floor instead of like sitting down someplace. Cause I was transfixed. So you took that experience and went back and told John Silva about it. Yeah, um, and he had he was already kind of hip to what was happening up there. Yeah, and then, so the industry folk already knew what was going knew. on, you know. I guess. And then you know, and then there's that that connection between your management and then it, I guess Sonic Youth, Red Cross, and Nirvana all shared at one point. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So there was yeah. that that connection there also. We're talking shortly after Neurotica then. Yeah, this what is probably this is Roy. Roy's in the band. I'm yeah. quite sure because because. I, I, I would have had a different perspective of Matt Cameron if Victor had been in the band. So, you know what I'm saying? Because they would be more similar type. He was a, a very standout drummer to, to me at, at, that, at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah. And we were we were still rolling with our, because Roy, so we had a very who thing, because Roy's very Keith Moon. Mm. So this was a more delicate but pummel type thing. And that's what I remember. I remember the the, the vocals and the drums yeah. of Soundgarden and Kim was so nice as guitar but it wasn't it wasn't I don't recollect it I remember him as an individual head and shoulders being the nicest person okay. in that band one of the nicest people I ever met yeah. but it was really the drums and the vocals that were just like oh yeah like I quit <laughs> you know <laughs> you're, just like, you're just like I'm going home now you know 
Well, how was your show that night then? Uh, I just, I've just, I, I felt like we were just the amateur hour, oh, you know, yeah. which seems absurd, but you, it doesn't, that doesn't often happen really. You know, that, that, that's, that's really honestly the only time in my life that I just felt so completely, totally ill-prepared for something I'd never heard of, never seen. Uh, and just wow. like, whoa, holy mackerel. This is, this is backwards here <laughs> you know like you know i poison opened for us or whatever and they were charming and cute and charismatic and you know they had their shtick but like okay whatever you know we'll go and blow you away you know but yeah, that was yeah, just yeah. and that's just because he just was he's just a you know a one in five billion pipes that's sure. just yeah. you can't i mean god yes. you know yeah. you got bob plant you got robin zander and then you got chris cornell it's like you got Naughty Holder and Steve Marriott, you know, and you got Janis Joplin, but you know what I'm saying. They probably were absolutely thrilled to be opening for you and would not have had that any other way. Oh, they were. They yeah. they had that wonderful excitability. Yeah. And like I say, Kim was so nice. And I think he was. I think he was just thrilled to the nth degree, you know, we're jamming with the Red Crosses. And yeah. yeah. And we had it. We had a great all major markets. We had great followings. I mean, you know, what you, 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 Seattle, Portland, uh, LA, San Francisco, Boston, New York, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. all the, the, the major ones, you know, at our peak, we could, we probably, we, we'd be pulling 2000 ourselves. So, okay. you know, it was, yeah. it was awesome. Just awesome. Not quite then, you know, a little later, like once, once we were in our third eye stride. So let's, I mean, let's talk about third eye. Um, sure. Neurotica was released on big time and yeah, um, a subsidiary of RCA, a subsidiary of RCA, an Australian label, right? Uh, Big time was was an Austra was run by an Australian who apparently was not altogether ethical, Fred Bestel, and he he kind of took the money and ran, okay, and left a lot of bands, every single band signed to Big Time Records in limbo, mm. and none of them could. We were all trapped in a contract with a label that didn't exist with a label president who had taken all the money and gone back to Australia. Okay. So we were all screwed. So that was really the, that was really the reason that we didn't make a record in that lapse of time. We okay. couldn't, we okay. were, we were trapped in a contract and it really sucked because otherwise, I mean, we probably would have made a record. I imagine within two years or less, really. okay. it would have, it would have worked out just fine. So that's always been one of those slight disappointments. Right. You know, right. I don't know. Kind of put the brakes on us a little bit. You know. Did you feel like right. you lost momentum during that time? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Our first national tour, we lost momentum only in the sense that we, our, our, <laughs> our drummer at the time, who was a lovely guy, he's just the nicest guy, but he kind of did one of those drop the bomb on us in like two days before we're supposed to go on tour. He's like, yeah, I, uh, I, I'm quitting the band. Like, oh, thanks for our, our first national tour that had ever been booked, you know. And so our previous drummer, Dave Peterson, then he came back to us and saved the day. But we basically had to go back six months, 12 months to become a different band, you know. Yeah, so it's like okay. if 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 the Beatles, well, basically, it was like the Beatles, right? The Beatles had recorded Revolver and they're still like playing Twist and Shout, right? Right. right. And so right. It's, it kind of felt like that kind of thing. And so so in that there, there was that big setback. And then and then, yeah, the the, the, the big time thing was very because it kind of felt like that too, you know. How did Atlantic Records come into the picture? Oh, okay. isn't that beautiful? 
<laughs> no, it is. It's Led Zeppelin's label. So we, we, or we, we didn't do Jack, you know, Silva, Silva, I'm no doubt cleared us up, you know? And so we got out of the, the big time thing somehow at some point we got, we got extracted from that. And Silva used to have to just send us out on the road basically to pay his rent. <laughs> I mean, that's how it was. And so, you know, we were just, we were just pummeled, you know, doing the, the horrible winter tours in Wisconsin and things like that. Right. It was nightmare situations. So he'd been trying to get hired into a management agency so he could get a salary so he wouldn't have to just go abuse all his bands, you know? And so the, it was a great deal. So he got hired at Gold Mountain Management. And Danny Goldberg, who owned it, ran it. Mm-hmm. He he was a bigwig. Silva got a salary, so he could not just have to humble us. He got he got a lot more contacts, and he he was standing from a much more powerful position now, as far as you know, being being industry spread and wide and all that kind of stuff. And I think in the agency he was assigned certain acts, and then he kept his I'll call us you know his his old school his he kept the people who kept him afloat. Yeah. So that was us, the three o'clock. He just he worked it. I think he probably worked it for a year or two, you know, trying to drum up some interest for us. And so we had one principal show that I'm aware of, which was our East Coast show. We had because there was the West Coast and the East Coast labels, right? And we probably did something where there were some kind of homestand where we had West Coast, you know, maybe Capital people or something came to see us where we were showcasing. I have no memory of a specific West Coast showcase, but I'm sure that occurred, you know, but we played home more often than not, I suppose. But then we had one huge show that was at a venue called the Rap Art Center, R-A-P, which was just an abbreviation for something, you know, and and the Rap Art Center, it was a big show, you know, one of these 2,000 theater type things or whatever. And and it was really beautiful because this is the truth, <laughs> firing on all cylinders. We played our greatest show at the most important moment. We really did. It was just so triumphant and so beautiful and we really, we really did have beautiful connections with our audience, and we just had them in our hands, you know. And, and it was a, just, just that that beautiful symbiotic love fest, right? And we did that, and it was just so perfect. And we were just such little turds. We were so audacious. We ended this thing with Sergeant Pepper's reprise in A Day oh, in the Life, right? Nice. Which is just. We're the most stupid kids. And so, you know what I mean? It's brilliant. It is. It is. Yes. (laughs) And so, we had some pushback. Some labels were like, you're like feeding us, like they're playing covers, you know? And I get that. I I hate playing covers. I I really will say that. I mean, it's a strong word, but I, I love it in that certain context, but I don't want it to be like, associated because sometimes it, it, it gets that the kitsch gets confused as humor again. Right? right. So people don't take you seriously. And all we're doing is just saying, we just love these guys. And that's why we're doing this because we love it so much. You know, we're sharing our love of that with you, but we can write songs also. Yeah. You're not a cover and, band. You see, see what I did there? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so anyway, so I remember like that night, there was like Virgin and Island and Atlantic. And it was crazy. Cause like, they're like, they're all there like in the room making their 
bitch. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, my perspective was 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 one of like a guy who's living in a eight by nine shower room with a seven foot ceiling <laughs> and a hot plate. I'm like, listen, virgin, you know, can you get me like all the sex pistols and public image CDs? And then they're like, yeah, you got it, man. And then I'm like, I'm like I am. <laughs> get me like all the whole U2 catalog on CD. Because CDs are still pretty fresh. Right, know? right. And and they're like, you got it. All the U2 you want. <laughs> then we go to Atlantic, you know, and I'm like, can you like get me like Zeppelin on CD? And like, you got it, you know. But then for me personally, and I think for all of us as a band, like you look at the catalogs and I don't know, I, there, there were probably other labels who were smaller players. I remember those three, it seems to me, you know, but it's just like, you go home, you know, and like you pull out whatever album you're looking at Crosby stills and Nash or whatever, you know, it's like, God, it's like this like red and green label. It's so iconic, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like, you look at the, the inner sleeves because for a lot of their albums, they just had the generic inner sleeve and one side's like all the soul records. Right. Yeah. And, Right. the other side is all the rock records and you're just like god man this has weight this is legacy this is like you are a part of something that's like historic even if you're a forgotten footnote this is how can you say no to this you know so i was just so swayed by that and just plus what it really i mean there's so much greatness but all you can it's just like lead <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, it was just like, oh, man. So it just ultimately like, you know, the other labels were great, but there were more newcomers, you know. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, smokes, Atlantic Records, it's Led Zeppelin. Did you get your Led Zeppelin catalog then? I did. did. They, okay. All right. I got it. I've, okay. I've got I've got, <laughs> I've got In Through the Outdoor on CD, you know, it didn't come in its brown sleeve, but it was just so satisfying. Yeah, you know? right. There you go. <laughs> All of it. Is so I could just sit here and let you do that oh, for a while. <laughs> Never really could understand all this talk about rock and bands. They just took my doll right out the door. They just took my doll right out the door. <laughs> I read something interesting. I, I love that album, sort of, you know. Yeah. It's everybody's Zeppelin conflict record. Yeah, we all love it, sort of. Some, some, somebody said something that's just, it's just so spot on and perfect. I mean, it's, 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 it's Bob Platt's first solo album. Right. You know, right. I mean, it just. Because it's not—it's a weird record. It know? is a weird record. I, I, and I, I it, it talk about being in a, in a in an awkward spot. It's like here comes punk rock, here comes new wave, and here's Led Zeppelin, and it, it was tough. Yeah. It was tough yeah. for the mighty, the mighty Elephantine now becoming dinosaurs. I feel yeah. sorry for them all. You know, how do you survive that? Those are some of the most interesting records to go back and think about, right? Right. I mean, because it is—it's it's elder. I mean, it's, it's the, the elder, right? Yeah. What do the bands do? Some of them just said. Like we're gonna make the greatest album of all time, and you get you get you get your ACDC back in black and Black Sabbath Heaven and Hell, and you're just like that's it, that's it. This is why you guys you guys get another decade now right, because right. You just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that trifecta of Heaven and Hell, Mob Rules, and then Born Again, Born Again, yeah. 
Keep it warm. <laughs> so good. So good. Robert, I am speechless. God. <laughs> yes. 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 Okay. Oh, it's so good. So Not good. to mention trashed, of course. Trashed. Here we go back to that word. That was a great combo that didn't work at all, but boy, they gave us a couple great tracks. Yeah. Well, most of that record is awesome. I mean, zero. <laughs> the interview is with Ian. The, tre- the priest. You know, oh yeah. yeah the interviews with ian gillen <laughs> about that album are so funny he has such a good oh they're all english they're all funny you know but it's just it's just he's absolutely he's adorable and delightful he's just like i don't know i just i'm a teetotaler but i'm i'm gonna relay his joke anyway he's it's like i don't know you know it's like like whatever me and tony got drunk and yes, then the next yeah. day i found myself in black sabbath i right. it was a total mistake you know but, <laughs> yes oh. that's the story that's the legend yeah. that's the lore yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> what an amazing mistake yeah <laughs> right it's brilliant oh it was really sad it didn't continue it was the bob the, 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 the rob halford Sabbath too. I mm-hmm. wish they had made an album because that was an unbelievable pairing. If you've ever seen any of the live footage, and there's not much, but oh my god, it's incredible. And he's got he's he's wearing like this like so poor taste. <laughs> killing me. He's wearing like you know this like tan like like desert Panzer Division uniform. Uh, you know, uh, and it's just sick. And he's doing his stance. You know, just this stance. You know. And he's yeah, I've got I've got audio from those shows. I, I don't think I've seen video, but oh yeah, it's you know. just stunning, just stunning. <laughs> yeah. So you guys settle on Atlantic and you yeah. get your Zeppelin catalog as a bonus and you go to Sound City. Sound City, yeah. Um the record itself is significantly different from anything Red Cross it, has ever done. Very different. So there's a lot of things going on. Yeah, let's I, hear about it. One of, one of the big, huge things that happens, and I have to credit him because he changes my life as a musician, is Victor joined the band. And Victor was like living in Simi Valley. This is Victor <laughs> and, in, in Drizzo. Right, on drums. And, and he, he is the single most, I, I don't even want to use the word talented, just the single most musical human being I've ever met in my mm-hmm. life. Like, mm-hmm. like he just, he is, he is this embodiment of music and love, you know, just, just extraordinary. And the thing about that, that's really critical is that musicians who are drummers versus drummers who are drummers. So he approaches everything as a composition. You know what I mean? Every, 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 every stroke is a note. Right. And it really changes things. Anyway, he was so phenomenally talented. So it, it was great because this is a true story. We were playing at a, a place out in, I never remember if it's Claremont or Montclair because they're you know, yeah. flip, flip, right? A couple cities that I think are in Riverside County. And we were playing at this place called the Green Door. And Poison had become huge and they had, you know, opened for us two years previous or whatever the story was. And so 
we're playing at the green door and we went to some mall <laughs> we're in a mall at the food court or something like that right and going to the record stores and on the mall music feed right they're playing a poison song which i don't really know any of their songs that they had the, the dreadful rose thorn song you know right right i'm not being rude they were they were they were, they were very 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 nice guys and i can see again just via the power of personality why they you know were so successful and they're fun they're poppy or whatever you know but they weren't you know my my, my particular cup of tea right but some song came on I, I couldn't identify it and it had a solo and it's got cc deville and he's shredding on it you know and jeff says to me just very matter-of-factly i've conveyed this 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 little anecdote before he says he says cc deville is a better guitar player than you robert and he was right you know and it wasn't it wasn't a a, it was not a cutting remark in any way whatsoever. Okay. It was just it was just a statement. We we you know you you're frank with one another because you're a family, right? So I really took that to heart. And at the time, all these bands, really any band after 1978, right, had a guitar player who was a guitar hero. Yeah. Right. I'm like, wow, this is the truth. I have to up my game if we're going to be the greatest band in the world i've got to be the greatest guitar player in the world and i really that became my personal mission so i was 23 years old and i completely reassessed everything and that's when famously this thing happened right uh-huh. when i went from here uh-huh. and this is where this came from yeah because it all came about like i gotta i gotta i you know if i'm gonna do the thing right it's like and and i i've got to i got up my game so i started the whole woodshedding thing you know and i just start, i started doing the whole thing all over pummeling eight hours a day all over again okay and it was great and the thing was that we had the best drummer in the world in our band and so it was just this oh how could i be so lucky you know like like I had the school record and the high hurdles at my high school for 23 years. And the only way I did that was I finished second in a race to a guy who the next year was state champ. Mm. And that would have never happened without having this competitor, which right. was a beautiful thing for me all my high school years. Right. It was the same thing. You, you got a training partner. Yeah. I had a training yeah. partner. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it was Usain Bolt uh, on the drums. And, and it was just beautiful. So I, I think that we just became this just, just monstrous unit, which was just great. So there was that thing, that thing, and 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 so 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 I come I come you know my my coming in is I'm 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 a new I'm a new musician, but I, I'm still at a fledgling point. So I was kind of like I hadn't utterly completely developed that voice, but it was I was two years into that voice, you know. And so, yeah, so Sound City was really rad. And, you know, the, the halls were lined with Fleetwood Mac albums and stuff like that, which was really cool. Yeah. And they had a Ms. Pac-Man game. I spent a lot of nights playing Ms. <laughs> Pac-Man. So can I tell you some things? Please. That are of vital importance. So here's the deal. So we had, we had lots of songs because we hadn't made a record in four years or whatever it was, right? Ah, three years. And... We'd record, you know, all, I think all of us had cassette four tracks by that point. So we'd all, you know, make our little songs. And then we'd write songs still together sometimes in the in the NASPAD where we rehearsed. And I was in this really intense, 
I was in this really intense minimalist phase. Like I, I wanted to make a record that was going to be like Plastic Ono Band, Who Live at Leeds, and Van Halen One. I wanted to just strip us to our most barest essence of pummel musicians with beautiful songs. So that was just my perspective, you know. And Jeff was on a trip where he wanted to make Boston or Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. He wanted to have a very, very huge, lush record. My trepidation about that was that, like I said, I saw the tsunami coming. And it wasn't lush pop. It was pummel. It was coming. And I knew it was coming. You could see it. And so we had, for the first time, really, I suppose, we, we had this luxury of, of, of a budget, like a big budget, more money than to this day I've seen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a lot more, which everybody got their 5 and 10 and 15% except us. You know, it was yeah. a typical story. So we had this opportunity to interview producers. So this is really the first part of Third Eye was besides just us being in NASPAD and rehearsing and, and doing our tunes and all that stuff was we got to meet producers. So I wanted to meet Chris okay. Thomas. All right. He produced the first two producer, the first two Pretenders albums and Sex Pistols because I thought that that would be a really good compromise. I am a pragmatic person because the Sex Pistols is totally brutal and in your face, but he's also playing like nine guitar tracks, mm -hmm. right? The Pretenders albums, the first two, are totally lush and beautiful, but they're also a very intimate, visceral punch to them. Right, and I, right. I thought that maybe we could find something in the middle there. And then they wanted to meet Tony Visconti, is that right? Who produced some Bowie albums. Mm -hmm. So we met him. We never met Chris Thomas because Silva said he had problems oh, okay. that could prevent him from working functionally or effectively, I should say, which was a bummer for me because I, I was right. looking forward to that one. And we met Vinnie Poncia, okay. who produced sure. Unmasked yes. and Dynasty. And Dynasty. And I was so stoked because, but the thing is, like, those records have a weird, like, thin kind of boxy guitar sound which kind of seems to haunt some of those red cross records too, i'm afraid you know but it was neat so he was really neat to meet so we met benny we met tony Vasanti. i'm pretty sure we did and but then we had I, I i did this one and i i i did this just so we could meet him because we knew at the outset we couldn't afford him his his walking into the studio door fee was one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. was gus dudgeon and i gotta tell you this is what it's worth. This is this is what your interview is worth, is, is, is Gus. And it's just so, it, I can't tell you how much it breaks my heart because the man died like two years later or whatever in an automobile accident with his daughter. Gus, you know, Yellow Brick Road, right? Captain Fantastic. Sure. That was like the ultimate. If you want to go lush, man, I'm just talking. Let's just do Gus, you know? Gus Dudgeon was so incredible and so genius i i i just I, for the life of me if i could have videotaped it right so gus arrives by chauffeur mm. right in the alley back where our, our studio we rehearsed at naspad gus gets dropped off i don't know like in a big you know rolls or whatever it is right and gus is wearing <laughs> gus he's wearing do you remember the the, the the high high tops that Converse made for yeah. a while back then, like that the, the zeros wore. 
Yeah, okay. He's yeah. wearing the high, high tops and they're pink. Yeah. And he's got them, you know, so you like they flip down on themselves yes. or whatever, right? Yeah. He's got those. But he's wearing a white unitard straight straight <laughs> out of Freddie Mercury's closet, right? To about yay or so. Here you are, you know, I, a pretty high cut unitard with like full on like, you know, just the straps. And it's cut like oh, all the way man. down, big scoop, like to his belly button. Like a Paul Stanley right? kind of unitard. Oh, yeah. 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 Or Freddie, you know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh my God. And Gus was so incredible. And he's got his classic, he's got his classic, you know, Euro shades on, right? They're all like, you know, he's, he's doing his pink, pink colored glasses in <laughs> our place. And he was so great and just incredible. I think he's just one of those classic heterosexual gay men type thing mm. because like he had a family and a daughter and, you know, but, but he was just so flamboyant, right. like remarkably so. And and he had a mustache, you know, his hair was slightly, slightly, I don't want to say flock of seagulls, but suggestive of, you know, so Gus at the time was making a tremendous career, just basically like producing European disco singles and stuff. That's what, that's where he was at at that okay, point in right. his life, you know, and he just regaled us with these stories of Elton John and, and, and Queen and David Bowie. And it, it, it was just incredible. And, it, you know, you were just holding court, you know, yeah, and yeah. that that to this day is one of the greatest days of my life. The wow. day I got to spend 90 minutes or whatever. <laughs> and it was just incredible. And he was so he was so catty, you know, Roger Taylor is a terrible drummer. He can't keep time. And mm. you're just like, <laughs> you don't know where to laugh or, you know, and you just take it all in and process it. Over oh, the next yeah. Few he, weeks. It was so great. And he, he, he was. In- you knew you couldn't afford him when he showed up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We and, we already knew it. Yeah, which is really rude and terrible on our part. But <laughs> it was just we 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 just did it. We 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 had the opportunity to fly him in and and just it was so worth it. It was so worth it. He was so great. I mean, besides George Martin, who's the heavyweight like that? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He was he was. And, and you were just you could just feel the greatness and like we are not of your sphere at all you know like you are the heavies man <laughs> Woo! What, what an experience what an opportunity that that it was incredible yeah. yeah but then we but as 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 economics and, and financial realities allowed we ended up hiring michael bloom who was a very 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 nice man him and I got along like gangbusters. We got okay. along really, really well. He had engineered like a prayer, mm. and he had never basically made a rock record. And he wanted to guinea pig with us. Okay. So that was a little awk, you know. But we couldn't afford anybody else, right. pretty much, unless we were going to just like wipe out our entire budget, which would have meant then we couldn't go into Sound City or whatever, right? Yeah. Because in the then we were back in the days of recording studios where you had to. What I have no idea what the daily was then, but it was horrifically expensive, you know. So, so Michael was really nice, but he wasn't. He didn't have the heavyweight, and he and and he hadn't recorded a rock album before. Yeah. He'd recorded, you know, a, a, a pop album with Madonna. So, you know, he had his engineering chops. So, me and Michael got along really well, and so then when we when we began to record the album, we're at Sound City, and so. Michael did long days and him and I would start at nine o'clock in the morning. So this went, you know, we spent like a month or whatever recording this album. So Victor did the drum tracks. 
in the big room. And then we went into a little room and I would come in every morning at nine o'clock. So me and Michael would start at 9am because I'm was the, you know, early, early morning kind of guy, I guess. Mm-hmm. It was easiest for me. The, the bros couldn't do it. Plus Jeff wanted to sleep. I get that. And if, if you're doing vocal tracks, you don't want to come in at nine in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So pretty much I'd record guitars in the day and then, and then Jeff would come record vocals at night and Steve would be doing his thing in between there. And it was fun, you know, and we ended up this third eye is recorded on two 24 track machines that were ganged together. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's like a 40 track album. And I wasn't a fan of that at all. Mm. I'm too, you know, I just thought it was overkill. I, I, I felt like we're just doing this to do it and it doesn't have any cause for it. You know, no, no, no true, no true justification for all this. Plus, when you put, start to put that much stuff on, you start to just, to me, it, it, you you end up with a overall thinness, frankly. But I, I won't get into that. But but so it, it, it's like a forty track. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was two reel to reel twenty four track machines that were slaved together. I, I don't think I, I sing on anything that's on the record itself, not even backing vocals. I, I was having really traumas, and I don't know if because I was I was listening to my headphones too loud, but I because there there's an actual audio effect when you're at certain levels where the perceived pitches change every time i'd listen to my playbacks i was sharp every day i'd try mm. every day to sing you know just to go or whatever you know and it would be sharp. I was happening. i was so oh. traumatized you know? so, and then ultimately we had cowsill she came in and she sang virtually all the backing vocals on that record it seems to me but maybe i'm wrong and just as asides before i forget some sort of stories that are kind of fun while we were at sound city in one of the adjacent studios, the Scorpions were there. Uh-huh. It was great. So nice. we met we met Klaus and Rudolph and Matthias. Mm-hmm. Matthias. I think those were the three that were there when we were there tracking stuff. But they were auditioning girls to be their next cover girl of the cover oh, of their album. Okay. They had huge line it was like a block long of all these you know absurdly stunningly beautiful women who were virtually nude all lined up going in and then leaving five minutes later as they probably you know pranced around and and were ogled at and it was very funny because so so i mean you know the scorpions are next door you got to go talk to them you know sure. they could not speak one word of english at mm. all it was the funniest thing it was like hello like hey how's it going Hello. <laughs> and they just spoke German amongst themselves. And it just, it really, it really drove home the point that all their albums are phonetic and nothing just, else. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. really funny. And then I, 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 I made a new friend besides Klaus. I made a new friend when we were recording Third Eye, which was Ron Keel. If you know who Ron mm, Keel is. Sure. Keel of formerly of Steeler with Ingvi Monsen right. and then of Kiel. Then of Kiel. You gotta the right to rock. So good, you know. <laughs> Just total knucklehead lunkhead. <laughs> you know? Oh my God. Anyway, pardon me. He was he was he was he was on the other side of the driveway. The Scorpions were the, the room to the south of us and then to the west across the driveway, Ron was there. And he was starting his new thing. Oh like like Corey what's its face, right? With the angels. He had he had an all-girl band and they were they Ron Keel fronting this all-girl band. They were great. 
and I never heard anything of it. And I felt really bad because I thought huh. it would have—I thought it would have been just wonderful. And what was there? So they had a great song, which has never been released. I've always searched for it. Anyway, so that's one of the funny sidebars. I—I was—I—I I, I was hanging out with Ron Keel. Wow, Scorpions on one side, Ron Keel on the other, and <laughs> and you guys made this incredible record. We made this in, album. In yeah. It's a fun record. I've been trying to think about it because I, I knew we were going to have this talk. I, I didn't listen to it. I, I, I listened to I did. I listened to uh, Bubblegum Factory because somebody posted the song on 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 my Facebook thing. So I, okay. I, I listened to it and, and they had a nice little thing they were saying. So and I, 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 I love that song. It's so good. When we recorded it, well, we recorded some demos at Bill Bartel's eight track reel to reel studio in Fontana. And that was one of the ones we did. And that was one of the very early, you know, pretty well-developed songs. And it's got that. a sweet one so you know i would always take home i would always take home tapes of of, of tunes if it was a jeff tune you know and yeah i just take it home and i try to write something unique i i always I, I really do subscribe and i didn't subscribe as much then i'll tell you it's true but that's one where i i that whole album i i think i, I did a lovely job of of playing for the song you know which is really what what, what you want to do in in Subsequent years, two of my very, very absolute favorite guitar players of all time are Elliot Easton and James Honeyman Scott, because they're like the ultimate complimentary mm. guitarists who absolutely played for the song and they enriched the song so much, you know, typically with unique melodies that almost become like their own bridges or whatever, you know, so I always try to do that. That was my I just I just wanted to do that, that, that the Brian May sweet you know you're my best friend type thing or whatever you know and just just because it's it's a love song it's not a love song to a person per se just as much as a feeling and an and and innocence you know and just oh what a beautiful 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 song right that, that, beautiful and it's woo! it's something that um you know that Augie and I were talking about too is how you clearly can completely shred when you want to. But you were restrained, and okay. and everything you played really, it worked to build up the song without oh, overpowering anything. Yeah. And I think that 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 restraint uh, and just the tastiness of what you were doing added yeah. so much to this. Oh yeah, record. it's 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 that's just the headroom, you know. Yeah. Because you know, when you get your skill set right, so you get your skill set. <laughs> there you go. And all that kind of thing going on, right? And it, but yeah, it's just it's headroom, right? There's there's so much good stuff on there, you know. So I do want to um, go back to your your comment about the vocals. Um, you know, yeah. you had a couple of lead vocals on Neurotica. Yeah. Um, you didn't have, as you said, any on Third Eye. But yeah. there is the famous Paul Stanley guest spot. Oh yeah. Um, as <laughs> as as you channeled his spirit in. 1976 yeah um, we share we share some 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 anatomical <laughs> resonance there you know that's that's 
it's it's not even like really having to try as much as it just kind of comes out that way. If I'm going to, you know, like I used to from the song Strutter, I, which is in B, I used to be, I'm the old thing I'll do. Anyway, I used to be able to just find a B note. Yeah. Because I could just I just find the the Paul Stanley resonance where and everything in my head would vibrate, you know. So yeah. So it just it just happens that way. It's not I'd rather sound probably like Robin Zander or (laughs) maybe even Tom Jones, you know, but it's okay. Oh come on. I'll take Paul Stanley because Paul Stanley again, he's he's Oh my gosh, his prime, he's his unbelievable. Prime. He Absolutely. is truly one of the top 10 great, greatest rock vocalists yeah. at his prime. You got to give it to him. You got to give it to him. Yeah, yeah. The dude's got pipes. The shreds. This is a great one. Wait, where's it? Elephant Flares, what a great song. That's a beautiful song. I well, like that. That was, That's, uh, as Augie and I were talking about our favorite songs on that record, that was one of mine. I love the whole song. Uh, I think the ending is one of the the greatest moments on it's third. Beautiful. Eye, um, it's beautiful with the the brass section and oh yeah, and Miss um, Ross, all of it. Yeah, and Jeff and Steve trading the yaz back and forth. Yep, and your solo. We, we all went to some deli one night, probably in Sherman Oaks, because the, I think a lot of these songs weren't finished, you know. And I, I remember we did a big we did a big uh, lyric session. OK. And and a lot of a lot of elephant flares came out of at least that ending, the Miss Ross and the, the X-ray glasses. A lot of that was mine. I don't remember which parts. <laughs> Who was Miss Ross? Chandelier. Miss Chandelier, she, 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 our, 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 our resident, just supermodel goddess who, 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 uh, frequented many of our shows and, and was just a, a jet setter. And, and tragically, sadly, she died a couple of years ago, which breaks everybody's heart. Mm-hmm. She fronted the, the band Glue. Mm. And, and, uh, oh my gosh. Just one of, I, well, <laughs> that's a sidetrack. It's terrible being in your fifties or something. I'm finding because because some of your friends start to die. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so yeah, the, 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 the just the huge crushing ones were Bill Bartel and and, mm. and Ross and Cecilia Frightwig. Those just are just been just devastating. And all three of those people shared a a, a common trait, which was embodied and manifested itself in different ways, but they made everybody that they came into contact with feel better about themselves. They just lifted you always. Even Bill, when he would, you know, antagonize people, it was all in love, you know? And it, uh, it's the effect that you want to have. Yeah. That's the ultimate yeah. effect, right? It is. So Miss Ross was so <laughs> beautiful and just that's chandelier. That, that one just hurts. That hurts. So, so that 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 was in in tribute to him, her. <laughs> what about um, you know the 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 one song that you get complete credit for? I believe oh, Zira, is, yeah. is Zira, yeah, and that's clearly. I, so I originally written that song when I first presented it to the band. It it, it it honestly to me what it sounded like was a Prince song, but I did want it to be like a rock song, you know, and. And I wanted it to have that gang chorus because I wanted it to be radio friendly. 
And and when Michael recorded the album, he actually thought that that should be the lead single, which had a lot of pushback from my uh, bandmates. <laughs> I get that, you know, because it it was not, you know, it wasn't it wasn't a, a poppy shiny song like that. But uh, originally, the lyrics I had written were about squid sydney from the lunatics it was a love right. song for her because i was just like every person who's ever met her madly in love with her and so i i, I wrote this ode to sydney from the from the lunatics but that you know lyrics are always awkward sticking points for anybody if somebody's going to else is going to sing your song you know and so ultimately it it became some kitsch, you know, so my pop kitsch was Planet of the Apes because I love Planet of the Apes and I'm all about that. So before there was Star Wars, my generation uh -huh. had Planet of the Apes and before there was Darth Vader, we had General Ursus, right? And all that rad stuff. So so I made it this this pay on to, to Zira. And the only thing I regret about it is that I I, I wish that the, the girls had sung the, oh, Cornelius. It's okay. We still play that song once right, in a while, once right. a year. We'll bust it out or something. You know, but, <laughs> and it's a shred solo. And I, 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 I remember Michael talking about me playing for the song or whatnot. Michael's all, don't you think you should write something else for this? Something, you know, because it, it does have the, it's got the wonderful motif, you know, the whole, the, the, the you know, the... <laughs> which is extremely melodic but i just i wanted it to just have this blast and he says he says you know that solo it sounds it sounds kind of young you know i go yeah but i i am young <laughs> and, and and i i i want it to be kind of just you know a little a little let's just blow it out you know so oh there we go <laughs> Right. Right. And then I have my little, mm. which is from Jump. But that's just my little Edward. Thank you, dear God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> from the fade out of Jump. Right. And <clears throat> that was it. That's my. That's my tune. It's about zero. It was originally about squid from the, the moon the chicks. chicks it was a love song <laughs> but it sounded like my my original demo i made really what it sounded like it sounded like a prince song you know okay. it was that kind of that that was my that that that's my that's my my notion of shred in there you know you know and talking about guitar playing i am curious about your interplay uh, with jeff guitar wise yeah. right and so you know i think we hear some of that especially in um you know songs like where i am today yeah and at least i'm perceiving that and maybe that's that's not accurate i um, I, I play a lot of the guitars on third eye okay. so i play I, I play the majority of them okay. but there there are okay. parts he's playing a little he's playing this little he's playing this little suspend four thing on on that song that's a beautiful song right, right? it um, really is yeah i think that's pretty much his part i was doing all okay. of Woo. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that solo. Some of that solo is probably, I think Victor actually played the guitar on, on their four track of that. So probably like, you know, I probably cop some of the licks from him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, and so yeah, much of the album is, you know, the first thing I heard from this record was, you know, the first song was you know, Faith Healer. Um, I am. And I, I think I was struck by, I think initially, right, the first time I heard it, I was almost kind of put off by it because it sounded like it was revving up for something that was going to be, you know, pretty heavy. And I, that didn't end up happening. It took me a while to kind of, um, uh, to kind of come to terms with, with that and then completely fall in love with it. Um, this right. was a record that was a grower for me for certain. Um, and you talked it's about a, it's a, it is a polarizing, alienating album. There's no question about it. And I, I would imagine that it is definitely the most polarizing, alienating <laughs> Red Cross record. It, it it blew a lot of people, and it was like I say, it really it it's it suffers a a a wrong place in time. Death. Okay. It really does. So let's talk and about it. Just, it comes it comes on the grunge tsunami, yeah, and it just yeah. it was destined for death. It was DOA, really. And in, 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 I'm not saying that to be mean or anything at all to oh, myself, no. right? It's just it just it was, and and like I say, I saw it coming, which that part did break my heart. Yeah. Uh, nice yeah the one bummer about that is that uh somebody lifted that chorus like note for note from some marginally obscure 60s uh pop 45 oh okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that always that gave me great, great, great cause for concern because mm. I didn't want to have our record pulled or us be sued or anything like that. But it's it's that chorus is note for note, and I didn't know that until I heard that record a lot later. <laughs> okay, all right. So far, so good though. Yeah. yeah, we won't talk about what record that was. No, I don't yeah. even know what it's called okay. or what it is, but I have heard it, okay. and I was like, "Oh, wow, that was that was not a good idea." <laughs> <laughs> you could have written something just as magnificent and just as buoyant, and it, um, yeah. I, I I will say that the you used, just use the word magnificent, and I would say that this record is magnificent, and it is magnificent and. Um, joyful and melancholy all at the same time, which was, uh, was a perfect mix. Um, as Augie and I were talking, you know, I, I kind of um, at one point referenced the Carpenters and how they also had sonically very different, but some of the same feeling. And I yes. think, um, and for me at that point in my life, I was completely doing something else, um, you know, musically, very into other things. And this yeah. record spoke to me very uniquely and, and very deeply. It, it was it was just you, know, you talk about it being you know the the time and the place is the reason why it maybe didn't do as well as it should have. I'm I'm, I'm afraid that's true. But yeah. for I'm... me was as a as you know someone who was very personally connected to it. It was the time and the place that made it what it was. If it had come earlier for me, it would not probably have resonated. Right. But at yeah. that, I mean, I was 18 years old, and this just became my world for a couple of years. That's awesome. Um, I'm stoked. And, you know, and it's still, it, and we're still talking about it today and still listening to it um, with some regularity. I'm, I'm curious to know, 
at what point did you realize that maybe the the tides had turned and things weren't quite going in your favor things had gone in a different direction and how did the band feel about that this was the one record for for atlantic and then you left the band so what what was kind of the how did it feel when the record came out and then what happened it felt beautiful when the record came out one of the best nights of my life was we were in madison wisconsin here, here's one thing. There's, there's a huge dark cloud on top of this. I, 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 not being negative. I'm just saying this was for my emotions, you know, Yeah. is Victor left the band and he was kind of pushed out, not by me. <laughs> I loved Victor so much. And he was extremely, extremely, extraordinarily, and still is talented. He is the single most talented musician I've ever met in my life. And and so he brought a lot with him that was just, just, you know, and we had very, very strong, everybody was a very strong personality. And I think that he was just like, I don't need to, you know, be treated like this or whatever mm-hmm. was going on. So he left after he recorded his drum tracks. I don't even know if he had finished the drum tracks and we had to like plead and beg him just please finish your basic tracks, right? So for me, that was personally devastating. I was devastated. I was crushed. Like the greatest thing in my life that had ever happened was being counteracted by one of the worst things that had ever happened in my life, right? And and so that was really tough. So I I did not even go to any of the mixing sessions, which I really regret, of course, in hindsight. And that got really weird because Michael didn't even mix the album. He brought in somebody that we didn't even know. And he said, I know this guy. I want him to mix the album, which I can appreciate in the sense that I've lost my perspective here. Right. But the flip side of that is like, well, you know, I mean, do we need to hire somebody new to mix this album? So for me, the, the mix of the album is very frustrating because <clears throat> there are no cymbals and no tom-toms on this mm, album. Mm. And we had the greatest drummer in the world, and the only thing you hear is, and that's it. Uh, so he may as well have been a drum machine. And, and that was that was that was crushing for me too. So, but that's my own fault. I, I should have I should have gone to mixing sessions and you know, so and 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 had some say in it, but I was probably just giving myself a couple of weeks of space, you know? Sure. And then, so, so we went out, so we hired Jack Irons, Jack Irons, who had been in the Red Hot Chili Peppers right. and subsequently would be in Pearl Jam for a number of years. <laughs> All of our drummers go on to <laughs> greater things, you know? Oh my goodness. And so, so we were in Madison, Wisconsin, and all these magical things happened. Well, I, I want to say first we were in Chicago. One one day we went into Chicago into a guitar store, and Annie's gone was on the radio. That was really exciting. That was really exciting. Needless to say, right? Yeah. Yeah. Walk into and so that was that was exciting, and it was probably just you know the local college station because we're playing in the city that night. But nonetheless, you know, we've been on the radio, but it was just there was something unique and new about it, you know, in that field. But the greatest night was we were in Madison, Wisconsin, and our album had just gone to number six on the CMJ charts. 
and they played our Annie's Gone video on MTV, and we we're all sitting in the hotel room. And he just—that's the closest I can feel like being a Beatle. You know, what is what experience am I going to have like this? The band we played our show. It was a great show. You know, I love Madison, Wisconsin, and all right, Madison. <laughs> <laughs> and. And we go back to our hotel, we turn on MTV, we're on MTV, and while we're there, they say, they've just hit number six on CMJ. And the same day, Jack, his life was going really nuts because the Red Hot Chili Peppers started doing this thing. They were starting to become rock stars, and his he talked on the phone to his wife or something like that, and he had just gotten this crazy residual check for like the catalog albums that he had Okay. So his life changed that (laughs) night as well. And so it was just a great, 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 great night, you know, and now I'm, I'm, I'm straying from what your question may have. Well, these are, these are positive things that were happening. So there there were, there were some great moments. Um, Oh, you were asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, 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 no, the grunge wave was coming. We we were were doomed. I mean, I, I, I did see it before and I, I really, Part of my minimalist obsession was also to make an album that was going to resonate with what was happening. I mean, that's, you know, and so I thought Chris Thomas, you know, could could make that pretenders, uh, sex pistols, something in between lush pop because they're lush pop bands. And what was this 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 Sabbath thing that was coming up, you know? So there you go. (laughs) As I said on numerous occasions, six months later, uh, after us, the the Nirvanas go into the same studio and and cut their album. And six months later, it's released. And well, there you go. Right. And so Silva made bank and we didn't. (laughs) You toured on the record. Um, We did. We did. Played some great shows. And my favorite third eye gig is probably, I think Brian was already in the band. I enjoyed having Brian in the band and Jerry Finelli was in the band. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and we played, we played at, Oh, what was it? what's it called? Uh, Mississippi Nights in St. Louis. We'd played there before. One year when we played there, the St. Louis Cardinals had just won their league pennant, and all of the all of the exiting drunken <laughs> spectators yeah. were rioting, and all the and so of course since that was happening, we were there at absolutely the wrong time. We were like thirty people at our show or whatever. Yeah. You know, nobody was there because they were all doing their, I understand, you know, their, their local thing. And, but the second time we went there, it, it was really, it was crazy. It, it was fun having Jerry in the band because she was a keyboard player. And I'd, I'd been in a band with a keyboard player once before, before I was in the Red Crosses, I was in a band called Pancake and we had a, we had a keyboards. And it, that's also something that expanded my vocabulary as a guitarist because, you know, they've got all their, they've, they've, they've got all their, they've got all their passing chords, you know. You know, and so like me, she just knew like, you know, the entire classic rock repertoire. So somebody did the classic yells out Freebird and we did it. We did it. Right? Okay. Yeah. We did it in its entirety and you know, I did the whole <laughs> You know, that's yeah. for no. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. All the things I learned in middle school. <laughs> and we off, you know? And we, and we played uh, Funeral for a Friend, okay. which is yeah. epic, you know. And so so that's that that was talking about these shows where you just play things off, right? Sure. At what point then, or why did you decide to leave? Well, 
here's the deal for, for, for me, I had, I had external influences and, and, and internal influences. So I, I was bummed about Victor still. Hmm. I really was because I missed that, that musical challenge. Every second was a challenge. I think I challenge, you know, top this, <sighs> you know, and I, that hurt me. And I, I had had a girlfriend for five years that I didn't have anymore. Right. And that hurt me. And, and when that, so, you know, it's a lot of just some personal emotional stuff, you know, and I didn't, I didn't have the emotional support that I needed within the band for me. And, and I don't know if I even ever conveyed that, you know what I mean? But that I, I had a lot of personal and it wasn't bad. It was very, you know, all amicable. You know, we were young and that sort of stuff. It, sure, but, you know, sure. it com- comes back to, you know. So I, I just, I didn't have, I, I, I was I was losing my 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 emotional footing. Yeah. And, and that's that's really it more than anything, I think, you know. And, and I, I know that I was in the band when Atlantic told us that they were going to release our second album, but they were not going to support it at all in any way whatsoever, but they would release it with zero support. They made that very clear. We sold 65,000 copies, I think of, of third eye in that initial wave, which is great, you know, but the problem was they put so much money into sound city and Michael Blum and tour support and a video that we money was we would have had to have gone gold to break even okay <laughs> and we didn't go gold we got about you know 12 percent of the way there yeah, so. right 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 12 and a half percent <laughs> but that i that wasn't really so much of a factor you know truth be told i i, I but emotionally i felt pretty I think that's the best way, you know, my emotional footing. I was, I'd lost my emotional footing. I I didn't feel, you know, with Victor, it's, it's just like, you know, I, 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 I suddenly became like Ace Fraley without Peter Chris. I didn't have my vote or my vote had no strength. Right. Right. Because I I didn't, I didn't have a a equal partner in, in our quartet. Mm -hmm. And so you bowed out. Had you, I mean, had songs for a second record been written? Had you worked on material for that? Yeah, we were all we, we always, always were four tracking. Yeah. Everybody's always four tracking all the time at that point. You know, I got mine probably in I don't know eighty seven or something. I think around the same time we all just when those Fostexes and those Tascams became yeah. affordable. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah, they just they just ruled. You know, so did any yeah. of those songs end up on um, researching the blues? No, I'd no. be too old. We we didn't pull anything that old. I okay. I I'm I'm trying to think, you know, like if listening to some of the the, like I I I I learned the the phase shifter and show world songs, you know, for my second right. my second right. seven year stint, and there are just there's some incredibly great songs on those records, and I can't remember if we played anything, you know, from those and it's it's possible that we had rehearsed some some of them at least in some formative states you know things that came back you know we were always we'd be on the road six months out of a year so your your sound checks were kind of your de facto rehearsals too like we would be rehearsing new songs on 
you know, soundtrack, which is a weird, kind of a weird thing to think about. But it's really, I mean, we did, you know, and we probably even played, had the nerve to play some of those songs after a few soundcheck rehearsals. <laughs> Try them out live, you know, but so there, you know, there, that's one of those curiosity things. Like if you, if, yeah. if we, if we were to somehow, somehow categorize inventory, all that stuff, you know, somebody make a list of it all, but it gets a little unwieldy. I've tried to, I was the band archivist. So in, in my, particularly my first tenure, I, I have a lot of milk crates of, wow stuff you know (laughs) i gotta i gotta i gotta shred here a second (laughs) yeah that was that was a good shred i that was like i don't like the guitar tones though because it's it's got that buzzy buzzy sound but i didn't i didn't have a I didn't go to the mixing. <laughs> well, there, there you go. That's all right, you know. But, but it's good stuff. I, I, I like this record, you know, because it, it, it does have because of Victor's strength. Usually, a drummer doesn't have so much presence in a band. It, I don't know if that's the. I'm not trying to again demean drummers, but it's just the musicality of it, you know. There's yeah. usually not so much musicality contributed. You've got great beats and great fills and great rhythms, but Victor and I took that song. We did the whole the whole Fleetwood Mac vibe of it, you know, like it's just Rhiannon, right? Oh. Uh. which I was thinking from, you know. From here, no good, you know. And of course, the other. God, which song am I playing? Right. So, you know. Right. But it's that, that, that whole, that whole atmosphere of that song it's 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 nice anyway i was just thinking oh god yeah my favorite my favorite this is just oh it's so beautiful it's just crazy crazy how beautiful this is one of the songs i always i always pleaded and begged to play it live but jeff never wanted to play it live which broke my heart you know our second time around, he did. He entertained the notion that maybe we would do it like on one of these things, you know, like okay. a computer performance or something. Yeah. So it could be excised if it needed to be, you know. But so beautiful yeah as you said it destroys me and i i I, the whole (laughs) 
good. And, so and good. when we were doing that, I remember Jeff soliciting for lyrics for that song, and and it had the and it's got the line "Wrap your arms around me." And I, 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 I again a visceral thing. I just wanted it to be like this, like love and but like a, 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 a lustful sexual and I, I i i my suggestion was was to make the line wrap your legs around me i wanted it to be legs <laughs> you know but that's not the right word it almost i don't want it to seem cheesy but i just it, it was just so love beyond love but it's right. not your lust because the lust is utterly contained within pure love it's just like it's the merge thing you know and i just paul stanley would have gone with legs exactly i think you guys went with chains chains i thought oh yeah yeah it says chains yeah chains <laughs> i think it says arms wrap your arms maybe it maybe maybe it doesn't maybe i just had legs in my head <laughs> but I, I that's I, I think that's my favorite solo of okay. the album that was Sil silva said that was his favorite solo. Totally. it is so that's my robert fripp one you know yes always yes. you, you got to go to your because it's just like yeah like you know heroes right it's a right. it has that same you know just oh it's just it's so emotional sure right to, sure. to me this is just such an emotional that and there's beautiful with all these sustained Pedaled notes on top of right here. Well, so, and then uh, and then the vocal on that too, uh, Jeff's vocal on that, uh, where he's holding that that oh, note. Yeah, uh, yeah that's just uh, a beautiful moment in that song. So you um, you're not currently playing with Red Cross. You you no, had another really. stint a stint with them. Um, made the record. I did get yeah. to see one of those shows. Um, uh, probably 2007 i saw you with them yeah um San we played some good shows some yeah fun stuff. those yeah fantastic you're still are you still on decent terms with those guys and yeah yeah, yeah. i saw jeff at a bill bartell mm. spaghetti supper we went to okay. we sat next to each other hung out chummed out you good, know good but it, i had a very <laughs> i had a very disappointing exit that was not my that was not my doing so. uh. Okay. Yeah, I, I was I was still making the record when apparently they were already rehearsing with somebody to replace me, so I didn't even get to support a record that I was recording, and so that was you know a little. But nobody had the courtesy to tell me. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that. So disappointing was my just the main the main word of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I like to I like to be a little more a little more face to face and direct and honest. I guess. Sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and and so I, I play with the it's okays, and I, I it's love okay. the it's okays, and and we still we we you know we do some of these same tunes sometimes we bust them out. Like okay. I said, we play we we played Zero. We actually played. We played just the Ms. Ross line when Ms. Ross died. We were playing a show like like a week later, and so our our first couple tunes were dedicated to her, and and uh, so. We sang the apples and oranges line, but in kind of a, a sad, folky way, you mm. know. Apples and oranges are good for you. I can't even remember how the thing goes. So yeah, 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 yeah. We play. I'm Is there anything else that you have going on that you want to talk about? We've been going for two hours, which is longer oh, than, we, than we thought uh, we would do. Um, but 
but I certainly want to give you the opportunity to, if, if there's anything else on your mind that you want to put out into the world. I do. Yeah. All right. I want everybody to love the, the it's okays. We make beautiful music and it's filtered through what I call an unfettered optimist's eyes. Okay. We need some and of ears. that these days. Yeah. yeah. And we've, we've, I've, I've, I've recorded and released three albums with, it's okay. 16 songs each. We're still be laboring and nitpicking over our fourth. Okay. Another 16 songs. They're, they're beautiful. Just beautiful. Where can we and, find uh, the It's Okay? Uh, I'm, I'm, we're on the Facebooks. I'd right. love to have 200,000 followers. I've got 1,500. Okay. Well, by the end of tonight, you'll have 1,501. That's beautiful. <laughs> and come see us when we play we we don't play much because i have you know we we have day jobs i have children the whole nine yards like so many of us do yeah we did we played a tour which is oh my gosh almost five years now we toured the pacific northwest with frightwig which was okay. one of the most fun weeks of my entire life it was mm. wonderful and we haven't done a de facto tour since then we've played in vegas but otherwise we've been limited to either la or typically bay area and we okay. haven't even been up there for a long time yeah please everybody listen and love the it's okay is because i i think people will it's it's beautiful we, we, ellen rooney who's our singer was on the third eye tours mm. as when we had the two backup ground singers she was one of the two backing singers, and I've known her since high school, and okay. and so she also is technically a Red Cross alumni. Yeah, we we our 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 records are about as diverse as the Red Crosses because similarly they're about five years apart, right? Mm -hmm. Each one with sometimes different lineups. Victor plays on the first album along with Abby Travis. We had we had a LA super band, and. They're they're awesome. Yeah, it's okay. all awesome. All right, good stuff. Yeah. Well, everyone needs to check out the It's Okay's. Yes. And I'm yes. glad that you're out there doing your thing. Um, it was a real pleasure to to see you. Yeah, I guess. Geez, it's been 12 years now since since that Red Cross <laughs> show in San Francisco that I saw you play with. Isn't them. that nuts? Yeah, it's that kind nuts. of stuff scares me. <laughs> but man, it's flying. Um, but I will say this. Um, you know, you have you have given me some of my all-time favorite music and really have enriched my life and and made my world a better place and so thank you so much for 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 all you've all, all the just the positivity you've put out into the world it has really touched me and a lot of people um and we're Thanks. very lucky i, 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 I gotta tell you that's I, I i've tried all my life to do that to, to to be like these three people i've said who who make people feel better around them i i i i, I our subtitle of our forthcoming fourth album is the optimist manifesto. That's really where I'm coming from here. You know, so I can't wait to hear that. And, and those will be words to live by and certainly an important message. So Robert, thank you so much for taking it's so much time. Everybody knows you're all beautiful. You're such a big, you hate yourself.